Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Normally, I would throw it to Jeff here, but he's a little bit under the weather, so you got just me today. But there's so much going on in the sports world, we can't just bring you a best of alone today. We got to give you some new thoughts. What's going on with everything? Let's see. Spring training's underway. The Sixers are on a tough March swing here. The Flyers we'll get to in a minute. Today's the trading deadline. I was down there the other night when the Rangers fans took over the arena. The Union kicked off their season. Coach Curtin is unhappy. The Eagles have new coordinators. The media landscape's changing. Golf is doing stuff. There is plenty to talk about. So let's get started. All right, last night I watched Sixers game. They lost to the Mavs in a shootout, dropped to 40-22 and 22 on the season. They're in third place now, five games back from Boston from the second spot, uh, about two and a half games ahead of the next team behind them. So comfortably in the third spot right now. But they're in the middle of playing a stretch at 12 of 15 on the road in a brutal march that has four back-to-back sets. So in two nights in a row, again, on Monday night, they play the Pacers, and then Tuesday they play the Timberwolves. From March 15th to the 27th, they play seven of eight games on the road with two backs to back-to-backs against the Hornets in Indiana on the 17th and 18th, and then against the Warriors and the new-look Suns with uh, Kevin Durant on the 24th and 25th. Right now, they sit in the third spot, like I said. They would match up if the playoffs started today against the Heat or against the, the Nets. I don't expect the Nets to stay there. Everything they move, the pieces, they don't even know who's going to get on the court right now. But the Heat are just behind the Nets in terms of standings, and, and the Hawks are there too with their new coach that they've just hired. Those two matchups would definitely concern me in the first round against the Sixers. And I normally I would throw it to Jeff and, and ask if he believes in this team. I don't think people are going to believe in this team until they see them win and advance past the second round. I, I just, it doesn't seem like people are confident. You watch this team. If you if you look at the last couple games, trouble defending the threes on defense. They've had zero answers. Last night, 25 of 48 for the Mavs. 48 three-pointers. They tied a franchise record for the most made threes in a single game. That's a couple days after the Boston Celtics made 16 of 36 against the Sixers. So if they don't tighten up their defense, it's not going to matter what's going on in terms of the front court and the scoring. Last night, we saw Maxi back in the starting lineup for the first time since January 15th. It was great to see him more aggressive out there. He had 29 points on 12 of 21 shooting, and you know I, I always go back and forth with Jeff about being critical of Doc and his lineups. They asked him why he made the move. He said, we just wanted a quick start. We felt like playing in Miami. If we can get off to a quick start, it would be great. We did offensively. We just couldn't get stops. We couldn't get stops the whole night. I don't understand why you don't want to get off to a quick start every night. I don't understand Doc's rotation still. I'm tired of seeing the all-bench lineup at the end of a quarter or beginning of a next quarter where we see runs of double-digit leads go evaporate quicker than you can imagine. And I don't understand why we don't do more of the staggering subs in the rotation. You, you saw Maxi come into the starting lineup. Obviously, that changed the bench correlation. Though, against the Mavs, for as critical as I am of them going all-bench, it was the bench lineup 
that got them back in the game at the end, only to have it basically get away from them right as Embiid was ready to, to check in. Uh, it, some guys are really struggling, and I don't know if Doc will change the rotation for them, but George Yang failed the score on Thursday in 11 minutes. He didn't play coach's decision against the Heat on Wednesday. He's shooting in his past 10 games, eh, 4.1 points, 22% from the three-point line. That's not going to get it done for this team. They need more out of him if they're going to go anywhere. They need more out of all of the guys, frankly. Joel Embiid sat out the Miami game on Wednesday night. I lose track of days at this point because he's got foot soreness and he's been battling foot soreness all season. It wasn't a scheduled rest game, but they figured they'd get him two nights, two days off in a row. Okay, that's fine. My thing is, and I've said this to Jeff before, he played 20 plus minutes in the All-Star game right before that. So I'd rather him sit for the All-Star game. I don't care if any of my teams ever have players in the All-Star game. I care if they're available on the field for my team to play. We'll get to it when I talk about the World Baseball Classic. Will it be fun to watch the eight Phillies players that are playing? Sure. Will I be sitting there saying, boy, I really hope none of them get hurt before they come back here? Yeah, and I'm not the only one. I'm, you know, Jeff would laugh. I'm talking fantasy sports, but I've got a fantasy baseball draft, and they're trying to figure out when to do the draft. And somebody said, well, let's do it after the World Baseball Classic so that you don't have any big injuries that harm your team. That's how people look at exhibitions that go on. Many do. Not, you know, some of them love the All Star game. Cool, fun, no problem. If you enjoy it, I don't begrudge you. Just not my thing. I, I don't, especially the basketball all-star game. I mean, that's not even like an exhibition anymore. That's just, you know, people shooting up pop a shot with nobody guarding them at all. Paul Reed, though, on a bright spot before I move off the basketball. I have wanted him to get more time. We've talked with Keith Pompey. We've talked with Jeff about where he is on the court, his over-aggressiveness. He, he fouls too much at times. I continue to be the school of thought that the only way to get him better and more comfortable is to give him experience on the court in the regular season so that when you need him to pick up some minutes in the postseason, he'll be available and he'll be ready and he'll be prepared. He's played career-high 446 minutes this season, but it's just nine and a half minutes a game, just under 10 minutes a game. Looks like he's playing better and more controlled on the court to me out there. Is he the answer? No, he's not the answer. But Montrez Harrell isn't the answer, and I don't know if Dwayne Dedman's the answer, and I don't know what they do. You know, going to a small lineup with P.J. Tucker at the five doesn't seem like that'll be the answer either. So we'll see what the Sixers do. We'll see how they match up. In third place, solid spot for the playoffs. It just doesn't seem like people are really paying attention or even really care to the level of getting sucked in buying into it. It's sort of like the Phillies. It's like once they make it, then I'll I'll do it. I think for the Sixers, it's once they advance past the second second round, then I'll pay attention and see maybe they're for real. But I'm not going to get my heart broken until then. Look at me. I'll sit and watch everything. You know that. I'll watch any sport at any time. Um, I will be frustrated by it, and I text lots of people and, and complain about why is this happening. Not that I would be able to actually do it myself, but I can certainly complain. I've got great Twitter fingers and, and can text people much better than I can pass a basketball or a dribble, as Jeff helped me to find out when we tried out for the Blue Coats years ago. Did want to look before we move off the NBA. You, you, the West now, the, the power balance with, with KD out there playing with the Suns. The Sixers will see him towards the end of the month. 
Last night, the Sixers saw Kyrie and Luka together put up 82 points. Whether that match, that pairing works in the long run, we'll see, because in Dallas, they're worried that the Sixers made a run, came back from 15 down, made it a game at the end, even though Dallas ended up winning. So we'll see whether those matchups in the West work out. LeBron's out with a foot injury now. The balance of power out West, you've got the Kings playing well. You've got the Grizzlies with John Morant there. So there's lots of players out West. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the West playoffs as that gets underway this season and seeing what happens out there in terms of who survives. I mean, it's just going to be a war of attrition out there in the West with these teams battle against each other, and, and they're so deep. Sixers, you have concerns, but the East, I think, is kind of, other than how hot Milwaukee is and how well Boston's played, it's kind of an inferior conference at this point to the West. You've got a lot of stars and talent, big names out West. The Sixers will get their chance Saturday night. They play in Milwaukee, uh, very hot. I think they've won 16 in a row, even without Giannis at times on the court. So we'll see. This is a stretch that's going to give people an idea for what this Sixers team is, where they are going into the playoffs. Can they stay in the third spot? Can can they keep their head above water? Can they move up? Now, I don't. That's not a feeling that I have. I, I, it just doesn't seem like they're going to pass the Celtics or the Bucks right now. We'll see. I, I can always hope. I'm a Philly fan. I always hope, but don't expect. Uh, but you know, again. It, it gives some for people to watch until they start with their spring training or until they get into whatever else they're going to watch next if they don't think the Sixers are going to make it there. I myself am already on to spring training in addition to the Sixers. I think I'm more excited about baseball now that I have kids that are old enough to be into it than I was when I was just a single dude watching games, if that's even possible. I mean, I've gone to spring training i've gone to phillies games with my dad for years with friends but watching it with two little kids having my now three-year-old ask when we're going to the baseball game and go down the other night to the flyers game and i, I do a video with the kids so they can see the stadiums down there and my little one sees the baseball stadium and looks for the fanatic and, and gets all into it i on the other hand am looking at andrew painter making his debut this week uh, threw 29 pitches Wednesday afternoon in a Grapefruit League game. Allowed one run on three hits in two innings. Fired a bunch of fastballs, two of which were 99 miles an hour against Carlos Correa. Look, Correa's seen a lot of hitters. Minnesota's hitters swung and missed at two of Painter's pitches. It wasn't a storybook debut, but he looked like he belonged, and he definitely impressed some of the people that were there. Carlos Correa afterwards said, He's more be he's mature beyond his years. He pounded the zone, not afraid of anyone, just going out there and throwing strikes. Very special. Also, he apparently added a cutter in the offseason, which he had never thrown in a game before Wednesday, but he struck out Max Kepler with it. And afterwards, I, I saw an anecdote that Garrett Stubbs, who we talked to on last week's show, came in. He goes, not bad pitch, right? Look, if you can get your young guy who's 19 years old up there to pitch this season, it's gravy. The Twins manager was impressed. <laughs> Rocco Baldelli said, is that how old he is, 19? He's what you're hoping for when you get to take a young, strong guy with a good arm that can spin it. Look, this is what the Phillies have been hoping for. The question is, can they keep it? Uh, Andrew Painter is 19 years old. He has never thrown the amount of innings that he'll, he'll be asked to throw this season. He's never done it in the pressure situations. He's been asked to do it 
So the mental makeup, I'm actually not concerned about. He seems to kind of have it. It's the physical, getting through it, stretching him out, getting him used to it. That's why I keep saying I wouldn't be surprised to see them use a six-man rotation. Maybe Bailey Falter helps manage the innings of not just the young guys, but Zach Wheeler, who who battled some arm troubles down the end of the stretch last season and in the playoffs. Aaron Nola, who's thrown over 200 innings, I think, in the last four or five seasons. So, look, if you can go to a six-man rotation early in the season, give them each a little bit more rest, kind of keep the stress down until you get later in the season. The the Phils clearly have more arms available in the bullpen this year. Can they keep those starters safe? You got Taiwan Walker going today in spring training that the Phillies seem very high on him. And, and look, that's a that's a five, six-man rotation of Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker, Painter, and, and Falter. That's not a bad way to start the season. They've, they've hit well early in spring training, put up a lot of runs. Alec Bohm seems to have bulked up in the offseason. You know, it's it's spring training, so you never believe the numbers, but you, you believe your eyes, and Bohm clearly seems to be growing into his body, adding some mass. He's hitting 375 in the spring with a homer. The other day he hit one to just about center field. And, I mean, it's just good to see him taking those swings. Derek Hall's off to a good start, three of eight with a with a ding or two. You know, we, we're obviously a fan of him on the show. We followed him through the, the farm system, talked to him a few times. Um, he'll be in the mix for DH, and obviously with Bryce Harper, who's going to come into camp, is taking dry swings, but won't be back till the All-Star break sometime around then. They're going to need to figure out how to piece this lineup together. Then there's the interesting story of Noah Song, who the Navy transferred him from active duty to reserve duty, so he's in camp. The thing is, he'd need to be on the Phil's roster all season as a Rule 5 picker. He reverts back to Boston. So what do the Phillies do with this talented arm who hasn't pitched professional baseball in years that the only way they keep him is to keep him on the active roster? Do they put somebody else down on the farm? Do, do they carry him? Does he revert back to Boston? We'll kind of have to see what goes on with all of that. Uh, and it'll all happen with the backdrop of the World Baseball Classic starting this week. So you're going to see younger guys getting more opportunities to play. I, the Phillies had to bring in extra catchers because JT Realmuto and Garrett Stubbs are playing the World Baseball Classic. Stubbs for Israel, JT for uh, Team USA. But they'll have the Phillies will have eight players in the tournament that starts next week. Games are in Taiwan, Tokyo, Phoenix, and Miami. Team USA plays their first game on March 11th in Phoenix against Britain. Um, a couple things about that. Look, I love the atmosphere of, of the country games. The, the crowd is fun. I really don't care if my players are playing in it. I, I just hope they don't get hurt. I am more interested in these guys leaving camp while they're trying to get up on the new rules because the new rules are not going to be played in the World Baseball Classic. They will not have a pitch clock. They will not have the shift gone. They don't have larger bases. They don't have the things that people are working through in spring training. And it's definitely something that we're seeing they're calling it very tight. They're trying to figure out how everything's going to going to work in terms of how are teams going to play in terms of the pitch clock. If you look at it, games are about a half hour faster this in spring training and during play on Tuesday. The average spring training game lasted two hours and 39 minutes, 22 minutes faster than last year's three hours and one minute. 
Only six games ran longer than three hours this season. None longer than three hours and six minutes. So Tuesday, the Phillies beat the Blue Jays 7-2. to two. There were 17 hits and eight runs. It was two hours and 28 minutes. That was faster than all, than all but four nine-inning regular season Phillies games last season. You, you compare another game. The Royals and Mariners on Sunday combined for 15 runs and 25 hits. Still did it in two hours and 25 minutes. So again, for a dad like me who wants to get my young kids into baseball, the Phillies now have start games earlier, so you get weekday games starting at 640. You're basically going to end up with a, a game ending around 9, 9, 10, where instead of getting to see one inning of baseball with the next generation of fans, you get to see three, four, five innings of baseball. Some people think it's moving a little too fast. Frankly, I get a little surprised sometimes. I'll go to turn the game back on and the inning will be over or two innings will be over and it's like, oh, how did that happen? The the interest you also see over the weekend uh, in the Red Sox Braves game where you're talking about throwing over, that game ended when the batter Cal Connolly was called out on strikes with the bases loaded because he wasn't in the box at set at eight seconds. That's not impacting the pace of play in terms of those violations. Actually, through 35 games by last Sunday, there were only 69 clock violations. So teams seem to be adjusting. Baseball is calling it extremely strict in terms of what they're doing. But see, and you're getting some complaints. Zach Wheeler didn't like it, said, said it kind of speeds it up too much. But Max Scherzer said, well, it gives the pitcher the advantage again now. They can control when they're going to throw. They get the advantage over the batter. So we'll see as it shakes out who gets the advantage, the pitcher or the batter. With the bases, steals are up. Teams are averaging 1.08 steals per game so far. That's a 40% increase from the .77 last season in spring training. The success rate's also up. In spring training last year, they succeeded on 73%. This year, 78%. You see Trey Turner wearing the huge oven mitts on his hand that he doesn't like because he doesn't want to break his fingers, but he's not going to have to dive back into first as much because the pitcher can't throw over as much as he did before. And he's going to get more opportunities to steal. And, and for the Phillies to have that at the top of their lineup with a new guy there who's hitting well in the spring is a leader. Great stuff, too. Again, the new rules, runs and batting average, both up through the first games. Players are hitting 272 through February 28th with an average of 11.9 runs scored. That's up from 259 and 10.6 runs scored. It doesn't affect the pace of play either. So you're seeing more steals, more action, more runs, better average, more balls in play, and shorter games. You won't make everybody happy. You'll never make everybody happy. But you're moving in a direction where people who don't have the attention span to sit there for four hours and watch a game on a day or don't have the time, maybe they have the attention span, but they're working or they've got kids or something else, they won't be able to do that. I'll be curious how fans react. I'll be curious whether baseball continues to call it this tight as they get into the season. Because as they get into the season you're going to see games end on a walk-off balk. And Jeff's talked about the the managers erupting on the umpires. He can see that coming. I'll be very interested when we talk to our next umpire about what their reaction is and what players are saying and how it impacts them. We, we talked a little bit uh, prior to the start of the season about how the umps were going to learn the rules new, new to in spring training. And we talked to Pat McCarthy last week about the people who will know them the best are the people who have been in the minors. 
because they're the ones who have seen these implemented and know how to play. They know what to play. They know what to do under these new rules and concepts. Then the question becomes, will anybody see the baseball in some of these markets? Because baseball's trying to take over local media rights as Sinclair, the subsidy that owns Diamond Sports Group and operates 19 regional sports networks for Bally, missed a scheduled $140 million debt payment. They could be headed for $8.6 billion bankruptcy. What does that mean for this league where they have so many markets that depend on local and regional TV rights? They've created a committee in baseball. They're, they're working on trying to figure out ways. They've talked about streaming. They, they have the MLB network and MLB platform. But baseball is going to have to figure this out because they're going to need to make sure that their, their audience is still able to see their product. They can't have something where they just give and get driven to the stadium and they don't have an MLS type deal with Apple or an NFL type deal with Amazon right now. They have a little bit of a deal with Amazon. You've heard me complain about those Thursday games that you can't actually see on, on regular TV, but it'll be very curious to see what happens in terms of how baseball handles it. And they're not the only league that's going through this. If, if you look right now, MSG this week announced they're creating MSG+. Plus. Uh, it's a standalone platform that's going to allow fans to buy and stream games for five NHL and NBA teams. You know, I don't watch them, but the Knicks, Rangers, Devils, Islanders, and Sabres. Okay, so streamers can choose from a couple of options, $9.99 a game, $29.99 a month for a package of games, or $309 a year for an annual subscription. Now, I'm telling you, I ain't paying $9.99 a game. You will not get me to pay $30 to watch the Oakland A's play the Mets if I'm a Mets fan, or the Phillies if I'm a Phillies fan. But they're trying, I guess, to put the price point high enough that they don't cannibalize their local TV market viewers in the process. I just don't know if that's going to work. We'll see, but all of these networks are going to have to try to figure out how they function in the new media landscape where traditional network broadcasting is being moved away from to streaming and cord cutters. And how do you keep in touch with all of these people? And you're watching these sports try to figure it out slowly at times. But, and, and it's not always pretty watching the sausage be made. So you will see the type of bankruptcies in regional networks. You will see consolidation among different properties in terms of how they put it out. The NFL is going through it now, moving their DirecTV Sunday ticket package over to YouTube. So people are now going to have to adjust to being on a streaming platform on YouTube. That's where it's going, whether people like it or not. The question is, are these leagues prepared for it? And it doesn't seem like baseball is. It seems like the other leagues are a little bit further ahead than where they are. So can they make sure they keep their product on the television while they work out all the details? We'll figure it out. Look, in the meantime, I get to watch spring training games. No complaints here at all. I know that Jeff would be very excited talking baseball if he was joining me this week on the show They'll be getting better and come back next week. Why don't we hit the break when we come back? There's much more to talk about the NHL trade deadline. We've got new coordinators for the Eagles, more news in the NFL. Players can't get over the Super Bowl, soccer, so much more to uh, talk about. Stick with us. We'll come right back. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. 
and the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Welcome back from break. Thanks for sticking with us today. I want to talk some Eagles coming back here. I thought maybe it'd be a quiet offseason. We'd move to the combine. Jeff would laugh at me because I'll watch people running in shorts and jumping and, and answering silly questions. We're not there yet because the offseason is not quiet here in Philadelphia. Uh, whether you're talking about the new coordinators, playing throw, players throwing shade at old coordinators, players arguing with players on others' teams about what happened in the Super Bowl. We've got it all going on, so let's take it one at a time. Before we get to the new coordinators, let's get to the old coordinator. It does not, like, it does not look like some people enjoyed the way that Jonathan Gannon left this team. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson tweeted and then deleted uh, after uh, Jonathan Gannon shared his view in a conference in Arizona about what went wrong in the Super Bowl. Uh, Gardner-Johnson tweeted, Gannon failed to put us in position to make plays. That was then deleted. Look, it's not surprising. If you if you watch the game, you saw that uh, the, the defense was not prepared for the, the two game-winning drives in terms of that play where they ran the in and then the out cut that uh, Kansas City had picked up from when the Eagles played Jacksonville that they weren't able to cover. I'm surprised that you're seeing that publicly. Maybe it's because he's not here. This is a group that pre- preached team all season. Guess uh, nobody wants to be left holding the bag on this one. You know my feelings on Jonathan Gannon. I, I was never a fan. I, I did not feel, I, despite the numbers, they had great numbers on on defense. I didn't feel like he adjusted when he needed to certain times. And I'm hoping from the new coordinator who they brought on, Sean Desai, uh, you know, they considered nine candidates over two weeks. They went with Sean Desai. He began here in Philly at Temple. He was defensive and special teams coach done some stints in college with the Hurricanes in Boston College, spent a lot of time with the Bears, running backs coach, defensive quality coach, safeties coach, defensive coordinator, and then he was the associate head coach with the Seahawks. One of the biggest differences from from what you read will be sort of how they present pre-snap. You know, they both use a mixture of fronts, but does Desai kind of, when he was with the Bears, he, he would feature like 2-1 technique where they would do a wide nine, but then then they would get in. They would overload run fronts and with three defensive linemen to one side and just one rusher on the opposite side. But if you're looking for sort of Buddy Ryan's defenses, that's not Sean Desai either. His blitz rate during the year running was 22.6%. That's pretty much what the Eagles did last year. It, his blitz rate was 15.2% with the Seahawks last year. That was 31st in the league. So we'll see what type of defense he plays. Uh, it seems like his cornerbacks kind of don't allow the free release which as much, which always bothered me with Jonathan Gadden, the backing off 5, 10 yards, let the receiver make, make his move. Desai runs a lot of zone coverage 64% of the time. Again, in 2021, he used zone uh, 28% man. The Eagles were 71% zone under Gannon last year, 23% man. 
So you're going to see a similar defense. Question is what players are going to be on that defense. They, I believe seven of the 11 starters are, are free agents right now. I don't think you'll see all of the defensive linemen back. Uh, you know, what do they do with Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox? I think Cox is gone. Graham kind of questionable. He had his best season, but as a part-time player, what money is he offered in other places at this point? Not really sure what we're going to see there. What is their philosophy in the draft? I would think that they go cornerback, defensive back type pick, offensive lineman, defensive lineman. That's generally what this team does. But if you look at some of the mock draft boards with the second pick that the Eagles have in the first round, you, you've seen some people saying they may take like a B. John Robinson out of Texas, a running back. Okay, I, I don't think Miles Sanders will be back either. It doesn't seem like the, the team is is committed to him. We'll see whether they are. Uh, but I don't think that this team spends a first-round pick on a running back. I, I think they would more likely trade out of the first back into the second to get more picks, which I think you're going to see how he do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he moves around a lot in the draft. That's how he got the asset that gives them the 10th pick in the draft, by making moves last season. So how he likes to make moves, I would expect him to make more moves as we get closer to the draft. And you'll see based on who they start to renew, who they draft, who's going to come back and be on this squad. On offense, you're going to see a lot of a similar offense, you would think. Brian Johnson is now going to be the offensive coordinator. He's known Jalen Hurts since he was a kid. I think that Brian Johnson played for Jalen Hurts' father. That's how far they go back. Johnson was a quarterback at Utah who led them to an undefeated season 13-0 in 2008, but went undrafted, then went into coaching. Um, he's been in college for a couple years and then, uh, been with the Eagles quarterback coach, offensive coordinator. Now I, it, that was the natural next move. Defense was the question. Do they stay in house with Denard Wilson? Um, Jonathan Gannon took some of the other defensive guys out with him that I don't know. Nick was totally happy with, you, you know, you saw sort of saw a story this week about Jonathan Gannon saying, well, I didn't do something the right way. And I, I had to walk that back. I think that was him taking coach Nick Rawls with him and not giving Sirianni the chance to choose who he wanted. In the end, you end up with Johnson and Desai as the next coordinators for this team, which actually puts them in a unique position Having two minority coordinators in the new NFL means that if one of them ends up getting a coaching job or moving on, you'll get draft picks now when your coordinators move on. So good for the, the Eagles for, one, hiring the best people, two, having them be minority hires, and now three, they will get compensated for it under the league's new program um, should those, those players move on. Uh, the other thing this week, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster getting the ire of A.J. Brown and Darius Slay, still kind of going in trying to troll uh, James Bradbury for the holding call. They all need to just enjoy their offseason. It just keeps going back and forth, TikTok and social and this and that, and it's like, okay, whatever. Uh, NFL competition committee looking to get rid of the QB push that the Eagles did. I guess if you can't beat them, Stop it is, uh, is the, the attitude. One person uh, briefed on the matter said the committee watched several examples of the push sneak, mainly by the Eagles, then discussed whether this play resembles a rugby play. The person another briefed on the matter said the league put the play on competition committee mainly because how it looks. That's right. They don't know. They don't like how the play looks. Some coaches are saying, well, I wish we could do it better. Why can't we do it like that? You know, we'll see whether they take it away. I don't know that they take it away this year. 
but I think it'll stay on the list of grievances in terms of what teams want changed. Uh, you've got the commanders in the news. As always, they hired Eric Bieniemy. They cut Carson Wentz, and Dan Snyder's charging his team $4.5 million to put their logo on his personal plane. Oh, he also apparently doesn't want to sell the team to Jeff Bezos, and he's under investigation again this time, this time for fraud, keeping money and things from his partners. Going great there in D.C. It's great to see the NFL on top of it, doing great things about it. Meanwhile, the NFL is still trying to fight against Brian Flores, who got a victory in court this week when a federal judge kept his racial discrimination lawsuit against the NFL and three teams in court instead of going to arbitration. The judge warned that if Roger Goodell's not a fair arbiter and doesn't appoint one, the parties can always appeal back to her court. The NFL kind of wants this to go away. And the judge uh, was very, was very direct. Uh, this case shines an unflattering spotlight on the employment practices of National Football League. Although the clear majority of professional players are black, only a tiny percentage of coaches are black. The core of Mr. Flores' claim is not that the NFL is generally racist. Rather, Mr. Flores claims that specific adverse employment decisions were driven by discriminatory animus harbored by the NFL and member teams. Taken to its logical extreme, the NFL's argument would bind a coach forever to arbitration, even if he were never again employed by a team in the NFL. I don't think this is going the way that that the NFL would like. And we said at the time, I think they picked the wrong man to do this to with Brian Flores, who has receipts, who clearly is respected by many people uh, for his integrity and the man who he is. And I don't think this story is going away anytime soon in the NFL. I just don't. So we'll stick with it and keep watching that there. But like I said, the combine is going out in Indianapolis right now. Um, news off the field, the defensive lineman who looked like he would be the number one pick out of Georgia, um, facing charges from an accident. Uh, we'll see whether that impacts his draft uh, position. Looks like the Bears may go on and trade uh, the number one pick, which wouldn't be surprising considering they have Justin Fields. They don't need a quarterback. Send it to somebody who is going to take a quarterback and go get yourself some more assets. They definitely need more people on that team for the Bears. So who, who knows how that shakes up the, the top of the board? My thought is take as many quarterbacks as you need at the top of the board. Let there be as many quality position players in the draft there when the Eagles pick 10 so they can either trade back and still have the player they want there and get more assets or take what they need. You know how he'll be out there making a move. That That's what how he likes to do. He can't help himself. Uh, so we'll see what they end up doing. Uh, <laughs> With Jeff not on the show, I, I have to take the chance to talk XFL for a second. No, I'm not going to necessarily talk about the results on the field, though I, I, he would lose his mind if he saw that uh, the quarterback from the Guardians actually gave the playbook to the opposing team. And when the team heard about it, they investigated and released him. So I don't think that's a good way to make a good first impression in a new league. Um, the reason I watch the XFL is less for the play on the field and more for the innovations that might either outlast the league if it doesn't last or come over the last time we saw the Skycam come to the NFL out of this process. We'll see what comes. I, a couple things I did like, they're doing live video feed of what's going on in the replay booth during the review to let you see the process of them making the call. It's also expedited with the booth itself 
doing the review and telling the ref what happens on the field. Um, they're doing tiered extra points. So the, the team that scores the touchdown has the option to go for one from the two yard line, two from the five yard line and three from the 10 yard line without Jeff here. My guess is he doesn't like that. He'll think that that is gimmicky. Um, they let offering, they let coaches uh, have the chance to challenge one time per game, but it's on any possible play. So it can be offsides. It can be holding, it can be pass interference, but just one time. Uh, I don't know if the league is going to move in that direction. Um, on kickoffs, uh, they look out for player safety, which is something that I could see the NFL doing. Only the kicker and returner are allowed to move until the ball's caught and after, or after the ball's been on the ground for at least second, three seconds. And the teams actually start from like five yards apart as opposed to running down the whole field to crash into each other. That's something that I could see the NFL looking into making changes, whether people like it or not, because they're doing things to get the collisions like that out of the game. They also have a different onside kick option, which was brought to the NFL owners in the past, but didn't get enough votes to pass. So the way that the onside kick works is you can do an onside kick during any part of the game, but teams have the option in the fourth quarter only. So you convert a fourth and 15 possession to keep the ball in the offense on the field. You saw it happen in one of the games already, um, and it worked out. This is something that's been brought up before to the rules committee, to the competition committee in the NFL. So will they end up adopting any of these rules? I have no idea. Will the XFL last? I don't know. They integrated gaming into their broadcast. They're trying to get people to gamble on it. That's definitely a lifeline for getting eyeballs to watch. If you have money on a game and you're interested in it, you'll watch it, even if you don't have a rooting interest in a team. They're in markets that may not necessarily have teams playing in them as primary teams. We'll see if they build it up. I don't know how you gauge success of ratings. I think they had more people watch it than the Live Golf uh, tournament on CW, which had like a 0.9 rating or something that was not um, very good. But again, Live Golf doesn't care about its ratings. They care about getting more eyeballs to it. They don't need the money from that. They have the funding. The, the TV deal is to expand the reach for them. So I don't know the funding of the XL, XFL. They, they have some coaches. I mean, we've talked to Bob Stoops, one of the coaches on the show before, and they've definitely got business backing at this point. Does it last? I have no idea. The USFL kicks off next month. Football people, will they watch a different brand of football in the offseason? I'll turn it on just to see the rules changes. Jeff will never turn it on. I don't need him on the show for him to tell me that he won't turn it on. I have no doubt that he will never watch a second of the XFL. I, I can barely get him to watch some football games. He doesn't have a rooting interest in sometimes. So, you know, we'll see. It, it, it's interesting with the off-season football attempts, and, and they're trying to capture the audience time. And I don't know whether some football fans just enjoy the break or other people are just jonesing to watch more football. And that's why like me, they will watch people run in shorts at a combine in order to, you know, get their football fix and see what their team might take and, and judge them. I always enjoy the funny stories that come out of the, the combine, the stupid questions that are asked and how people react to it we'll, we'll see how long they keep doing the combine the way they are my guess is that changes in future years too 
Uh, but look, this is the, the quote, quiet period in the NFL, and it's, it's really not that quiet. And in football in general, there's lots going on. So we'll leave the football there. We'll go to a different brand of football. The, the Union were back last week uh, at home. The stadium was rocking. That, that's a great place to play. If you've never gone to a game at Subaru Field on the riverfront there, uh, Subaru Park on, on, the, on the waterfront, um, with the supporters that they have there, it's such a fun place to see a game. I can't wait to actually take my kids at some point. They're kind of getting into everything at this point. I know we're going to be going to a baseball game soon with them. They keep asking. Maybe I'll take them to the Union game. We'll see. My three-year-old might be a little young for that. Uh, but it's a blast watching that fan base and what they what that team has done and, and how they've built it up. Uh, 4-1 win to start the season. The new guys produced. Torres had, my God, a, an unbelievable move that led to a pass that led to a goal. Uh, it, the first half, they were a little sluggish. Not surprising. First game of the season, offense behind the defense. Um, Andre Blake doing Andre Blake things, just a wall back there. But after the game, Jim Curtin was not a happy man. I mean, he was happy with the victory. Not happy with a story that was in The Athletic. Um, there was a story in the athletic where people were previewing MLS 2023 and, and there was an anonymous executive who said, the thing is they're not even bleeping good. It kind of hurts me to pick them. All they do is kick the bleep out of you. They're always ready to play. That's great. That's good coaching, all that stuff, but they're just not great. They have a way of doing things and they're consistent, but it's not like the quality is amazing. So it hurts me to pick them, but they've kind of earned it. You want to talk about a backhanded compliment. I, I had said to somebody earlier in the week before the game that if I was Jim Curtin, I would print that out and put it in every player's locker. Apparently, Jim Curtin play, paid attention to it and brought the receipts in the postgame press conference after the 4-1 win because he came to the podium with anonymous quotes are for cowards. People are very brave when they make anonymous quotes. Woo, coach not happy with, with uh, people not putting their name on it. I don't think he cares what somebody says if they put their name on it, if they own it and stand up and say, this is my feeling. But if you're going to do that anonymously and, and hide behind it, and look, I'm, we've talked before with Jeff. I've worked in politics. I've, I've been on background. I've been on, off the record. I've been on the record. You can choose how you want to give your quotes. And this person chose to offer a critique without choosing to put their name on it for the story. Reporters completely entitled to run it. Doesn't mean that Jim Curtin has to like it. And clearly, he did not like it. Uh, I did and thought the broadcast was pretty clean on Apple TV. You know, we'll see how this is sort of a test case for streaming. I think football is, is watching the Apple deal, college football in particular, and Pac-12, some of these other conferences are going to watch very closely. For my purpose, I like that they sync up the radio call with the um, the Apple TV broadcast because I got to listen to our pal Dave Leno, who's now the primary on the radio call on our Beasley sister station, 97.5. They were on the stream because the Sixers and Flyers were also playing, but he's going to have the call each week uh, uh, for the Union games. We'll have him on in a few weeks uh, to talk about what's going on again, but it's fun to see... Them with their new partners, the union are definitely getting more recognition now as a team in the city. 
for how well they've played, for how they go about doing it, for for how they play, I think. I think people like a team, and this is Philly, we like a team that's hardworking and built the right way, and that's what this team is. They build their homegrowns. They don't just go buy stars and, and spend money. They, they find pieces that fit the puzzle that they're looking to create. And watching the union do it has been great. I mean, we've been getting to go cover their games for years. They've built it over time where they've taken a step forward each year of their own process, including selling off some of the pieces to get different resources back, whether it be acquisition money or trading for other talent or sending young guys overseas or letting older players go so that those young guys could come in and take positions. You have to give the union credit for it, whether that executive wants to do it anonymously or not. Uh, They play Saturday night again, back at it on the road against Inter-Miami at 730. Uh, Look, they're one of the favorites this season. And if you want to see a winning team, we'll get to the Flyers in a minute because they're not one of them. The union are a great chance for you to go down or, or watch on Apple TV or listen on the radio broadcast for you to see a team that plays really hard, that is very talented And that's really good. And that's fun to get to be a part of in a city that we've watched lots of good sports, had some heartbreak, but to have another league to be able to do it as the World Cup approaches in 2026 with games that will be in Philly, that's a pretty cool spot to be in. So I'll take it. But in addition to watching soccer now and basketball, and yes, I'll still talk hockey in a minute. uh, It's almost time for March Madness. I I have such fond memories of before I had a career and had to work of just skipping my classes and watching conference tournaments. You know, I was a Rutgers, so they were never in the NCAA tournament at that time. So the conference tournament for me was the chance for them to pull an upset and make a run or, or enjoy that. I, I still loved March Madness. Obviously, it was back more in my gambling days. I had many brackets and... Um, had some gambling, but I mean, this time is fun. You see upsets, last minute shots, crazy games, um, teams that, that struggle all season that, that go and make runs out of nowhere. I mean, this time of year is unbelievable. Last night, I obviously got a gut punch from Rutgers blowing a 10 point lead with a minute left. Um, it is hard to lose a game where you led for all of the minutes and did not trail at all until they hit a walk-off three, which they never should have had um, because you let them roll the ball up the court. Um, Obviously, we've talked to Coach Pike a lot on the show, um, had a good time with him. I might go catch the game on Sunday night up there and see what it is, but that one hurt for their their seeding chances. And um, they've had a good season so far, but without Moat Mag, they, they haven't played quite as, as well. Locally in the city, you know, Villanova's played better lately, but you're looking at what could be the first time in decades that no big five team from the city is potentially in the tournament. And that's a that's rough for a, you know, the, the city six, the, the big five, they, they have prided themselves on for years being there, being the tough out being, you know, they, they play that Philly way, that tough style. Nobody wants to play them. The old John Cheney temple teams, the Jay Wright Villanova teams, as much as, 
uh, their fans may like them in the city this year. That's not the basketball that, that we've been seeing. And I don't know unless any of them make runs in their conference tournament this upcoming week, if we're going to see any of them in the tournament, despite the fact that the field's expanded to 68. So, you know, look, you're, you're coming up to this time of year where there's wall-to-wall basketball. You, you can watch the soccer games on the stream. You, you can watch the pro basketball. If you want to watch some of these other football leagues, you can. If you want to get ready for the draft, you can. If you want to watch the hockey, you can too. And, and that is sometimes a, a painful experience here in this city. Uh, I, I went to the game the other night against the Rangers. Um, you would have thought that I went to a game at Madison Square Garden. I did not. Um, it was easily 50-50 in that arena, and you could see it from the second you walked in. You didn't need any action to occur just from the look of the amount of blue in the crowd. Um, you knew it was going to be a long night for the Philly fans in the stadium, regardless of what happened on the ice at that point. Um, the game, although the, the team is owned by Comcast, the team was, the game was blacked out for fans in the city on Comcast. Um, don't know how that works out. They, they said it was some kind of mistake. You could watch it on the stream, but it's emblematic of, of what's going on with this franchise. This one proud franchise that you could not get a ticket to a game for that now other teams are taking over our stadium like Philly fans pride ourselves on doing in other places, while the ownership, a media company, can't even broadcast the game in the city. Whether there was a reason or not, it is just a bad look there. Now, in fairness, the fans wouldn't have liked the end, but the Flyers played hard for a lot of that game. The, the second period, they dominated the first eight to 10 minutes of the third period, they played strong. But I mean, I was with a couple of friends. Two of them were Ranger fans. Uh, you knew it was coming. You, you could sense the Rangers had so many opportunities, so many missed opportunities during the game that they didn't capitalize on. And you get into overtime and, and Tarasenko ends it in overtime and the blue went wild in that building. And, you know, it's it's painful to, to see. I talk reverently about... Lou Nolan being the voice of my childhood, watching games at the Spectrum, where that crowd never would have occurred. That would not have happened. They, first of all, those tickets wouldn't have been available. Um, the, the problem is the Flyers are basically in purgatory now. They're not good enough to win now, but they're not bad enough to get a good draft pick. They're 48-74-21 over the last two seasons. They're 23, 28, and 10 this season. And John Turnarella said this week, oh, in addition to saying about the Rangers fans, we make our own bed. We need to get this in the right direction where maybe someday those tickets are hard to come by. Well, he also said next year is going to be a grind too. This is a process. It's going to take time. So I appreciate Tortorella's honesty. He's not like Chuck Fletcher, who had the nerve to say earlier this week that they're the fifth most improved team. And he pointed out that they're the seventh youngest roster when last season they were the 30th. What he doesn't say is that age doesn't speak to the level of play for those young players. 
So is the goal to get closer, to not get blown out? Because they're not scrapping the whole thing. The trade deadline is today. We'll, we'll see what they do. But up until this point, they haven't gone to a total rebuild. They haven't done a process type thing with the Sixers or what the Rangers told they, their fans they were doing or the Devils told their fans they're doing. They've tried to retool a team that was flawed from the start and it hasn't worked. And now here you are at the trade deadline today the third straight trade deadline where there'll be sellers. Chuck Fletcher said this week, we'll listen to anything that makes sense. Okay, well, what makes sense with this organization? Because they don't have talent in the Phantoms. They're actually sending guys that they're bringing up for the Flyers down to the Phantoms so that they can get playoff experience someplace because they're sure as hell not going to get it with the big club. So what is makes sense for this team at this point? Are, are they trying to get players to play on the big team? Are they trying to get assets to build the farm team back up? What is this team doing? And this isn't the first time that we've talked about this on this show. For years, Jeff and I would joke that until the Flyers got a goalie, never take them seriously. Now, all of a sudden, they have a goalie and barely have anything around him. And everything they have around him, they're looking to sell. You know, James Van Riemsdyk, I'm, I'm recording this show a little bit before four, so the trade deadline's at, at three o'clock, so I don't know exactly everybody that gets moved yet. James Van Riemsdyk and Kevin Hayes and Justin Braun and Ivan Provorov are the names you see potentially going. Who are you going to know on this team? Who does this team sell to the fans? Is it Scott Lawton? Is it Travis Konechny? Is it Carter Hart? I mean, I know it's gritty. That's what they sell the fan base. And that may be okay and entertaining for some people, but that doesn't put a good product on the ice. That makes entertainment off the ice. And this team hasn't put a good product on the ice for people to watch in years. And look, I was a hockey guy. I still am a hockey guy. I love watching hockey. I love watching playoff hockey. I'm the person that will watch the playoffs after the Flyers are out. Frankly, I have to watch it now because they're not going to get in. And I don't see any hope that the people making the decisions are going to make any changes. If you look at the direction of the franchises in this city, you look at the five major teams. Eagles, we're in the Super Bowl, moving in the right direction. Phillies, lots of hope and promise. We're in the World Series, moving in the right direction. Sixers, you can debate their plan, but they're going for it. And they have recognizable names. And they're on Saturday night against the Bucks. They're not irrelevant. The Union are a star team in their league playing. And the Flyers are not relevant anymore. How many times are the Flyers on ESPN versus ESPN Plus? Yeah, you can stream the Flyers because nobody wants to watch the Flyers on TV because they're not fun to watch. They don't have any stars. They don't have any young players. They're not bad enough to get Connor Bedard this year. They'll be just good enough to get a draft pick that will be in the system for a couple of years. Maybe he turns into something, but that's not going to bring the fan base back. And I don't know how you stop other situations like the game the other night where opposing fans take over your stadium from happening until you build this team back up because there's nothing there to see. Yes, it was fun watching a game, but what was I watching? Who was I like? Who was I watching on the ice? Most most fans, if you're not a diehard Flyers fan, you can't name seven players on the team. Even if you are a diehard Flyers fan with all the injuries and guys up and down, 
it's hard to name who's on the team. And so Tortorella can can do his song and dance, and, and he's right. But frankly, he shouldn't be the coach here. Because if they're not going to give him the talent to win, then why are they even trying there? He's making their losses better. As Chuck Fletcher said, they've improved off of the last year. They're now the fifth most improved team. I didn't realize that that was the metric for success in hockey. That's not going to help you raise a Stanley Cup. That's not going to have you in handshake lines in the playoffs. That's not going to have you anything but going golfing when the season ends. And I just don't have faith that Chuck Fletcher is the guy to make the move because I've seen the moves that he made. You saw Sean Couturier. We shipped him out of here and sent away a draft pick to get him to leave. And he was traded this week for a third round pick for Arizona to get back. I just don't have faith in what the team is doing and how they're run that they're going to get this right. I'm going to keep giving them chances because I'm a fan and and I guess I should maybe stop watching, but I don't. I'm a sucker. I, I'm the one that texts Jeff and I'm like, are you watching? And I'll write back, no. <laughs> I wish I was like that. I sit there and suffer and I'm like, why isn't it better? Why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? What's going on? And I don't see any hope right now that the management and the ownership is going to make that change. So since I closed on such a fun, happy note for the show, uh, look, no, I mean, it's a fun time in sports. I just, I don't like seeing a fan base wither away that was once very proud to see games. Jeff, I hope we'll be back next week feeling better. Hope you enjoyed this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.